So Elijah means Yahweh is my God, or my God is Yahweh. If you're a Hebrew, you'll pronounce Elijah Heliyahu, something like that, Heliyahu, Elijah. If you'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to read just a short passage of Scripture this morning (laughs) for a change as we just look at that one story. 1 Kings chapter 17, and we read from verse 1. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite, that's Tishbite, not Tickbite, that's the only introduction that we have to Elijah. So we don't hear about Elijah before this. Uh, It's the first time in the scripture that we come upon this person. We don't have a lengthy uh, bio, biopsy or bio sketch or anything else of Elijah. We just told this, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, Okay, that's the only introduction that we've got about this mighty prophet of God. He said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine or Cherith, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't complain too much about meat and bread morning and night. (laughs) Imagine being able to eat bread, 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 (laughs) and meat in the morning and bread and meat at the night. Anyway, let's just pray. Lord, we commit this reading of your word to you and trust that you will illuminate that which you would have us to see and hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go straight into our first lesson this morning, and it's simply that we are to learn to speak the word without fear or favor, as we see Elijah doing in this passage. We've got to learn to speak his word without being afraid or without being intimidated by those to whom we speak it. By this stage, the United Kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon was divided into the the northern kingdom, which was Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah. A guy named Ahab is king in the northern kingdom, and it's to Ahab that Elijah brings this message. As I mentioned after giving the briefest introduction of Elijah, Elijah goes before the king of Israel, uh, king of Israel the northern kingdom, King Ahab, and he delivers this important yet uncomfortable message from God. He simply says to him, there's no more dew and there's no more rain. In other words, no moisture from the ground and no moisture from the top until I say so. This is to the king of the northern kingdom. King Ahab, we are told in the previous chapter, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than those before him. So up to King Ahab's time, he was the most anti-God king of all time. And little Ahab 
has to present this message to him. Ahab and his wife, you'll know her name, Jezebel, had taken wickedness to a new level in Israel. And in, in Elijah's giving this unenviable task of going to deliver this message to King Ahab and to this wicked queen uh, Jezebel. Needless to say, as soon as those words of prophetic judgment must have rolled off Elijah's tongue, he probably became King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's public enemy number one. Wasn't rocket science to figure out Elijah's message to the king and queen would not elicit their favor. They did not reward him because of the message. They were out to kill him. But for Elijah, there's no quandary here. He's got a message to deliver, and he delivers this message irrespective of the consequence. We see this spirit of fearless Elijah occurring again in Scripture. In Malachi chapter 4, Malachi the prophet says, I see I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Now he was speaking of someone who would come as a forerunner to the Messiah. And we know that person to be John the Baptist. This person who would be unafraid of calling out and confronting evil. Jesus himself identifies John as this Elijah when he says in Matthew eleven fourteen, and if you're willing to accept it, he, John the Baptist, is the Elijah who was to come. Now, what was John the Baptist's message all about? It was simple. Repent. He confronted the people of his day to make radical, life-changing decisions away from themselves to God's righteousness and, in actual fact, pointing them to Jesus. One would come after me whose thongs, whose sandals I'm unworthy to tie. He will baptize you with a spirit and with fire. This was John the Baptist's message. Like Elijah, he was unafraid. As we know, it cost him imprisonment, and then eventually it cost him his head. You remember the story, Mark chapter 6. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. He had him bound and put him in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now, King Herod claimed to be a Jew, okay, so John had every right to go to him and say, what you have done is unlawful. He was committing adultery. He took his brother Philip's wife and he married her. Verse 18, John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. And we know the rest of the story. Uh, Herod was high in spirits. He had thrown a massive party, probably had too much to drink. And Herodias' daughter came and danced and pleased Herod. And he said, you can have up to half my kingdom. And she went and consulted with her mother, Herodias. And she said she wants John's head. And she got John the Baptist's head on a platter at that occasion. So the lesson today is clear. 
as we speak about Elijah, who goes to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and as we speak about the one who came in the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist. We are to speak the message, the word, without fear and without favor. It's important to mention that we're not speaking judgment. We are speaking the word, and it's the word that judges. Judgment implies using myself as the measuring rod. I'm so righteous. I've got my act together. Judgment gushes my disapproval, my superiority. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you'll be judged. The same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Elijah did not judge. He simply went to the king and he gave him the message. Why were they so upset? Because the word had judged them. As we approach, friends, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, this isn't the time for us to remain silent. And especially not in the body of Christ. Especially not when we see brothers and sisters in the Lord who are doing things and saying things and whatever that they shouldn't be doing. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls upon us to judge those who are in the body. And we are supposed to do that. And we do it based upon the word. We're not to remain silent. Time is too short. It's that compromise Because silence in the face of evil is compromise. It's that compromise that got Saul and David and Solomon and every other failed person, Peter, all of them, every failed person in the scripture, it started with some level of compromise. We need with greater fervor to be sharing the word of God with the same spirit that Elijah shared, repent. I know I'm speaking primarily to the body of Christ, but we need to be unafraid to speak the word. So as we think about this, pause for a little bit this morning. Lesson number one, to speak the word without fear and favor. Is that where you're at today? Have you held back because you're afraid of what that person's going to think? What's going to happen to you if you do say something? Those of you who work in government offices, in business offices, those of you outside of the home, inside the home, wherever you might be, are we too afraid to speak? See, the reality is people's eternal destiny is at stake here. And by us compromising, by us keeping quiet, by us thinking, oh, we can't judge. No, we're not judging. We're simply declaring God's word. The second lesson this morning for us is a very pleasant one. God will provide. God will provide. After delivering the message to King Ahab, God tells Elijah to go to the Kerith Ravine east of the Jordan River where he could hide from the vindictive royal couple. They wanted Elijah dead, and they would have looked all over the place, especially in the established cities. So this dry and dusted Dusty desert region may have seemed a bit like an odd location to Elijah, but God said he must go there, and he simply obeyed. That's God's provision, you see. That's God's provision. God's sovereignty was at work. If Elijah had gone and hidden where he thought he should hide, he would probably not have come out alive. 
but he went where God told him to go. When God's solution seems weird, don't doubt it. For example, if someone strikes you on the cheek, this cheek, what does Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. I mean, that's just crazy. Why would you do that? Let me share a little story this morning, and this isn't to amplify myself. It's probably to amplify my faults. But I had to go and do something which you've got to do periodically. I'm not going to tell you where I went and what I did. But I had to go into a government office to go and do something. And uh, there was a bit of a up, um, mistake with the booking and all sorts of things, and eventually I got to where I had to be and went quite quickly. And I went in and I sat down and I said to the person, good morning, how are you? And now you understand that it's taken a lot of courage to go to this place in the first place. So I'm already, you know, <clears throat> good morning, how are you? And I got, okay, you. So I thought, okay, this isn't going to go well. So I thought for a bit, and I thought, no. Nah. I said, you know what? This is the day that the Lord has made. How can I be grumpy today? And I saw a look come over the person's face that I thought, oh, I shouldn't have said that. So anyway, I sat down. Now, I sat and I just sat. And this person's busy on their cell phone. <laughs> now, I'm sitting there very quiet, very well behaved, and I'm starting to think, my taxes pay for this civil servant to have a job. And I am at their mercy sitting here. So I feel myself starting to bubble, you know. <laughs> you know what it's like. I mean, this isn't right. A person is a civil servant. Servant means service. They are there to serve the public who are actually paying their salary. It took several minutes. Then I hear dogs. So I hand over my documentation, and the person says, where's your ID? Now, I know it's stupid not to take an ID, but I was very clear before I went there that all I needed was a copy of my ID and my original document that I was going to renew and this document, that, and I took all of that and more. So I said, ma'am, we were told just to bring a copy of this and the original of that. Yeah. She just exploded at me. She's half my age. She's a civil servant. And I'm sitting here while this person's standing over me, lecturing me about my bad attitude and my this, and I should have known that. And she went on and on and on. And I sat there thinking, okay, there's a few ways to handle this. I can find a supervisor. I'm probably not going to get anywhere with a supervisor. This person's clearly racist and doesn't like the fact that I'm there in the first place. 
and what a what a what a what. I haven't said anything. All I've done is smile and be pleasant. And then I thought about Simeon's devotion that I just <laughs> listened to in the morning about discipline and things like that. So I thought, okay, let's turn the other cheek. This isn't what I want to do. I have rights. I'm a, I'm a public. And a public has come to this person to pay money and to do something that I don't want to do, and they have to serve me. So I said, okay, okay. I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Please won't you forget I ever said that. I'm really, really sorry. I left my idea at home, and I should have brought it. She stopped in mid-sentence and looked at me. She said, okay. She walked off. She came back and she said, my supervisor said I can process. And we processed. But in between all of this, it was still, you know, two visitors that came to talk, just catch up on the day and wada, wada, wada. Pastor Stefan was behind me in the queue and we finished at the same time. That's how long my, my person took. But my point is this. I did something that was unreasonable and silly. Why turn the other cheek when I've got every right to be there? When I've got every right to get service? Why turn the other cheek? Because God tells me to. See how it works? I mean, Elijah, why, why was he in this situation? All he did was do what God told him to do. And then he finds himself there at this little brook with no guarantee that it's going to keep going, you know although he's getting food morning and night, the solution, God's solution, doesn't seem to make too much sense. It seems a bit weird, but it's his provision. Now, if you think, well done, pastor, you're such a good example, that's the one time I got it right in at least a thousand before that I got it wrong. So just leave it at that. So God could have used any means to feed Elijah, and this is the other point here that I thought of, but he chooses ravens intentionally now this is another weird thing why would God choose ravens you see the problem is this the raven's not a very dependable animal at all I mean think about the story of Noah Noah in Genesis 8 7 sent out a raven and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up it never came back to him, not like the dove that came back and then he sent him out and the dove came back with a leaf, you know, so he knew it. The raven just kept flying, you know. Why would God choose a raven? And Elijah knew the stories of the Noah and the raven, you know. He knew all of that. Biologists consider ravens to be extremely intelligent, but that's not their most notable characteristic. They are actually scavengers. They feed off dead animals. So ravens were not kosher. Why would God choose to use an animal that they were not allowed to eat? This just doesn't make sense. You know, Elijah, go there, I'll look after you. And the ravens are going to bring you food twice a day. Listen, with their black coloration, their enormous wingspan, and their reputation as scavengers, it's no surprise that ravens are, have gained a kind of mythical um, uh, reputation. When you think about some of the movies today, if there's a bad omen, what is it? It's a black raven. You know? 
I mean, they've even given us a word that describes a person so hungry that he will eat anything. You know, when I'm hungry, what am I? I'm ravenous, ravenous. This is a suspect bird at best. With a rotting flesh as their main diet, they were unclean by any accounts, let alone by one who is clearly a follower of Yahweh and one who would have known his laws. Yet without hesitation, Elijah trusted God and accepted his provision without a word of complaint or protest. We don't like God's method. And we, we kick against it and we fight against it and we shout against it. But in actual fact, it is our provision very often. God will always provide. We're not told what kind of meat the ravens delivered, but we obviously, I mean, he would have cooked it up and given thanks to God and eat it. The Lord provided, so Elijah ate it. Many times our God does not choose to work in rational ways. Maybe he does that. I don't want to throw this on him. But maybe he does that so that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that it's actually him that's providing for us. (laughs) Sometimes we just don't know why God would use that person. But God, don't you know they're evil? God, don't you know this or that or the next thing? And God provides in spite of. You could be questioning his provision today. You could be questioning the ways that he is providing, but all the way he's protecting you and caring for you in a unique manner like he did for Elijah. I found it interesting that Jesus, I think, alludes to the story in Luke uh, Luke 12, verse 24, when he says, consider the ravens. Imagine how he offended his listeners when he said that. They knew ravens were non-kosher animals. And Jesus uses that very thing that would cause them offense to say, look at those ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? especially during COVID. You can worry as much as you like. You're not going to add, and the literal translation is, a single cubit, a single inch to your height. You're not going to grow any taller by worrying. It's not going to happen. But I thought it's interesting that here Jesus talks about ravens. He must have been telling them, you know, God provided for Elijah with this thing called the raven. But look at those ravens how much he cares for them. See, the will of God will never lead us where the grace of God cannot care for us. As strange as it sounds to be fed twice a day by ravens, Elijah obeyed the word of the Lord and trusted him to work out the details. And God did. He always does. Truth be told, the birds didn't feed Elijah, did they? The birds were simply the delivery system. The birds were the blokes on the motorbike. Beep, 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 you know. (laughs) Nando's or Debonair's. I see them quite often around my house. They never stop. They always drive past. But anyway. God fed Elijah, not the ravens. Similarly, your employer is not your provider. God is your provider. 
Your paycheck doesn't supply your needs. God supplies your needs. Do you get the principle? God knows what you need, and He knows when you need it, and He will always make sure you have it in His time at the correct time. As He sent the ravens to Elijah, He can command all heaven to come to your aid. I believe it with all my heart. Never saw the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. I love the story about an elderly lady who would come out every morning on the steps of her front porch, raise her arms to the sky and shout, praise God. One day an atheist moved into the house next door, and over time he became more and more irritated with the little old lady. So every morning he would step out onto his porch and yell to her, there is no God. Praise God. And he would say, there is no God. Time passed and they would carry on like this every day. And then one morning in the middle of winter, the little old lady stepped onto her front porch and shouted, praise God, praise the Lord. And then she said, Lord, I have no food. I'm starving. Please provide for me, O Lord. There is no God. There is no God from that side. Anyway, the next morning she stepped onto her porch and there were two huge bags of groceries sitting there. Praise God, she said. God has provided groceries for me. The atheist quickly jumped out and said, ha, 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 there is no God. I brought the groceries. So the little old lady threw her hands up in the air and said, praise God, praise. You have provided me with groceries and you devil pay for it. <laughs> That's it. We don't always understand what means God uses, but He will always provide for us in our need. He continues to take care of us when we walk in faith and faith in His Word. Okay, last little lesson this morning contentment is the key to our miracle. Sometimes we don't need a miracle. Sometimes we just need contentment. Very often our miracle is going to stay far away from us when we haven't got contentment. Elijah arrives at the brook Cherith. His faith is put to the test. It's only a small brook, just a little water seeping out of the rocks. The supply could dry up any day. God doesn't give Elijah a river. He gives him a brook. Elijah had to learn to depend on the Lord from moment to moment. Did he really know those ravens were going to be there the next morning? Would they be there that night? Would there still be water coming out of that rock, flowing into that little brook? You know, he had to learn to depend on the Lord from moment to moment. Sometimes we get so worried when God gives us a brook instead of a river. We like to have a whole year's supply in advance. Only then we feel safe and secure. It's like my wife always says, when her car is full of petrol, she feels so rich. <laughs> when I open my deep freeze and it's full, eh, hey, I'm content, you know. We all have our little, our year's supply of something that we kind of need. And that wasn't Elijah's case at all. He was just day to day. God told him to go there, he went there. And God fed him and cared for him. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, Godliness with contentment 
is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Maybe today you are in the middle of your desert, wondering why you're there. Maybe today you need to take some time to reflect on what your ravens were or are at this moment. If you cannot think of a way in which the Lord has or is providing for you, then I challenge you to implement thankfulness moment by moment, day by day. See, gratitude opens our eyes to the goodness of God. When we become aware of the blessings that seem mundane and insignificant to us, we can see a clearer picture of the Father's love for us. And contentment replaces anxiety, confusion, and all the rest. Then there's another thought to this. Maybe you could be a raven to someone else. Or at least a provider, not necessarily a, a raven. Maybe you're a special provision to someone else. Maybe God has gifted you with finances or a good listening ear or cooking skills or strength or anything. Perhaps it's time to move from our place of discontentment to actually asking God, how can I become a provision to somebody else? How can I become that raven to someone else? And I think this only comes when we are truly content with God, what God has given us. When I'm, when I'm habitually and continually looking for more and bigger and better and, and all these other things that drive us sometimes, at the end of the day, it's just the love of money. I lose sight of other people and other people's needs and wants and desires and all the rest of it. Philippians chapter 4 says, Paul writing, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Anybody else can say amen to that? (laughs) I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And then that verse in, chapter, in verse 13 that everybody takes out of context. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We love to quote that verse in all sorts of places, but it is specifically in the context of contentment. I can be content. I can do all things. I can be fully content in Christ who gives me the strength to do that. And then down to verse 19, and my God, when I'm fully content, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hebrews 13 challenges us, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, 
If you haven't heard him say it before, listen to what he says now. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Can I read that again? Keep your lives free from the love of money. In other words, chasing all of these things and be content with what you have. If what you have is not enough, be content with it. If what you have is not a whole year's supply, be content with it. Why? Because God himself has promised you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So friends, whatever it is you're facing, you're facing today, get your eyes off those circumstances. Get your eyes off those things you don't look like. Start looking for those ravens. Perhaps those things that actually disgust you that you don't like. Maybe you'll begin then to see things not through your own lenses, but through God's eyes. Contentment with God's sovereignty in your circumstance is the key to your miracle. Can I say that again? Contentment with God's sovereignty in your circumstance is the key to your miracle. He's on his throne. He's watching over you. He's promised to provide and care for you. Simply settle with your lot and look for those ravens because God has promised to care for you. <laughs>